0: It's super easy. Just go to Current.com slash OK, O-K-A-Y, and download the app. That's Current.com slash OK. Current is a financial
1: technology company, not a bank. Banking services provided by Choice Financial Group, member FDIC, and Cross River Bank, member FDIC.
0: Welcome to OK Computer. I am Dan Nathan. I am joined by a very special guest, a podcast extraordinaire. His name would be Guy... See Adami, he is my co-host on on the tape. He is my co-host on Market Call, both risk reversal media properties. He's also the original member of CNBC's Fast Money. That if we make it until when, guy January, it'll be if how we make long? Make it until
1: January? It's seventeen years.
0: Is podcast? It's like when you
1: is it now a verb? Yeah, as you're, well? like, you're like yeah. podcasting. Yeah,
0: like you're googling so it's a something. Noun and a verb Yeah.
1: Okay, no, look. Yeah. And,
0: and who would have thought a guy who's never listened to a single podcast in his life? has probably co-hosted hundreds of podcasts. How about that? I have a great conversation with Trevor Marshall that's going to come on right after this. Trevor is the CTO and co-founder of Current, a fine sponsor of this program, OK Computer. We're going to talk about SBF's FTX trial. How about that? That starts today as we are recording this. We're also going to cover some stuff going on in fintech land and just hit tech in general. But I wanted you on right now because you and I, it's funny. I, I don't think you would consider yourself a techophile or anything of the... But you've been commenting on technology on the sectors, on the, on individual stocks, on CNBC, on our pods for a very long time. And there's something interesting going on in the markets right now, at least in the public markets, guys. And we've been talking about this on all our pods for a while, and I, at certain points, it becomes more evident that there's been this flight to quality, if you will. The S&P has sold off a little more than 8% from its recent highs. It really seemed to start during Q2 earnings period after some of the biggest companies guided You know, if you recall, you know, Microsoft had to disappoint, at least the reaction by the stock, you know, uh, Apple did to their Q2 earnings a little bit. But right now, it seems like that these mega cap tech stocks, even though they're well off their highs, are seeing money flow into them at a time where there seems to be some trepidation in other parts of the market. If you look at banks, if you look at staples, cyclicals, industrials, transports, there's a whole bunch of areas that are acting pretty weak, but money seems to be flowing into the tech stocks. Talk to me a little bit about, from your perch, what you think that does dynamic is all about. Also at a time where interest rates, the 10-year U.S. Treasury yield is raging. It's above 4.7%. It has not been here since November of 2007, Guy.
1: Interest rates are the story without question. And and on the tape and market call, we've discussed what we thought was going to happen to interest rates and some of the other factors around U.S. rates. But to answer your question, I think part of the reason you're seeing this, again, Flight to perceived quality in the form of the names you mentioned is the fact that their balance sheets are pristine and theoretically they shouldn't be as impacted by higher rates as some of these other companies. So I understand the knee jerk reaction and that would be fine, I think, if valuations for some of these companies weren't as stretched as they are. The problem, of course, is there's some valuation problems as well. So that flight to quality is what's happened with a lot of these names. It's created a bit of an expensive on uh, a number of different valuation metrics for a lot of these names, which I think at some point is going to be problematic. I think as this plays out, a broader market sell off, again, perceived flight to quality. I think the last rung of this, the last sort of shoot drop is going to be the fall in a lot of these big cap high growth names that we talk about all the time. Yeah,
0: it's a great point that you make with interest rates where they are right now. When some of these mega cap tech stocks had these huge cash balances, right, and interest rates were really low, there were a lot of investors, a lot of analysts, a lot of strategists who said this is like a drag. Like the fact that they have all this cash, they're not earning anything on it. The only thing they could do is really buy back their stock, which was good, I guess, if you're taking some shares off the market there. And so when you calculate price to earnings, but right now, a lot of these companies, when rates were really low, financed a lot of their debt, and now they're earning 5% on those cash balances. And I think that is part of the kind of flight to quality argument. Now, Guy, the point that you make about valuations on on these mega cap tech stocks, there are some that trade at very high multiples relative to many of their peers, relative to their own historical valuations. But then there's some like Meta and Google, the Alphabet and stuff like that, that trade at basically a market multiple, right? So I guess we really want to focus on is Microsoft and Apple, which are combined $5.5 trillion in market cap, that traded high 20s sort of PEs and you could say all right that's expensive there so I, I, I get all that last night on CBC's Fast Money on Monday you and I had a conversation with Mary Ann Bartels and she made the point that valuation is not a great market timing tool speak to that a little bit and she also said that she thought that these mega cap tech stocks were about to go we were about to go into this some super cycle or something and, and I didn't I didn't really take too to much of that I, I don't when people when strategists start talking about super cycles that are about to emerge I usually a fading that call. Your thoughts on that and valuation as a timing tool.
1: I agree with her on the, in terms of a timing tool, valuation is not a great one. And think about it, we've talked about it for years in a zero interest rate environment. And we have actually said, it, and Jerome Powell said it as well, valuations don't really matter at all. And I know that's somewhat glib, but it happens to be true. Valuations only start to matter as rates start to go higher. In terms of using them as a timing tool, they've got to just be one arrow in your quiver. So if it's the only you're looking at, you're not going to be successful. But if you look at valuation and overlay it with maybe some stochastics and some other technical indicators, then things start to make a lot more sense. You would have sold Apple on valuation on its way up. 30 different times and would have been incorrect, but at a certain point, that pendulum's gonna swing. And I think it swings in a couple of ways, in the form of a broader market sell-off, which we're seeing, and the form of rates going higher, which we're seeing. And then obviously the last part of the puzzle is, you know, people fleeing the stock market, which we're starting to see around the edges.
0: There's an article in, in Yahoo Finance this morning that caught my eye for a couple different reasons. One, because our good friend EY from SoFi, that would be Liz Young, who's the head market strategist over at SoFi, was quoted in the article, but the article is big tech takes a backseat after the AI hype cycle. And you and I were talking about this in mid-July when we had all of these major tech companies like Microsoft and Salesforce and Adobe and a handful of others announce some of their pricing of their AI tools, which a lot of Wall Street investors and analysts were really excited about. It was kind of justifying, hopefully, the moves that the stocks had in anticipation of some of the pricing so they could start modeling this out. The article talks about how we're on the other side of that. And again, we just highlighted the fact that many of These stocks are down 10% or so from those levels. And it was the peak in the NASDAQ here. Liz's point, and this is really talking about valuation also, said she thinks that the shift to smaller cap stocks could be underway. Now, granted, we've talked with Liz on Market Call, on on the tape, how poorly the small cap stocks trade. But she doesn't see the next leg higher for the S&P 500 on the imminent horizon. Valuations for big tech and the broader S&P still have further to fall. She believes that before a slowdown kicks off a new business cycle with a new roster of names, Posting the biggest gains, so she's also making the point that some of the prior leadership might not be the leadership coming out of whatever correction that we have. Talk to us a little bit about that, because on the broader market front, guy, banks act horrible, right? Some industrials act horrible, transports act horrible. There's a, a lot of sectors that are not perceived like that that normally you would like associate with a new market cycle, possibly new leadership. And they're not suggesting that by any means right now. If anything, they're pricing in a recession at the moment.
1: Yes, she's probably gonna be spot on. Of course, the problem for new leadership with what we've created is eight to 10 of these stocks now represent, and you've done the math yourself, probably 50% of some of these broader indices. So if you're not gonna get the leadership from those names, it's by definition, just by math, It's going to be very hard for the broader market to continue this sort of upward trajectory so if these generals start to fall by the wayside regardless of sort of what happens in banks or industrials or energy or healthcare it's virtually impossible for the market to see the move to the upside of the magnitude that we've seen on the way up it's a wonderful thing nobody's talking about this because it doesn't matter markets going higher everything's great valuations don't matter everybody's happy but on the way down when things start to kick in and then you lose that leadership, you can get strength out of a number of different sectors. But if you're not going to get it for those seven, again, the 10 names, that's going to really pose a bit of a problem.
0: Yeah, Goldman had a note out yesterday. That was October 2nd. Goldman sees earnings-led rally in big tech stocks after route. I, I wouldn't call this exactly a route. It's not even a correction yet. Not uh, at in, all. In the NASDAQ 100. But they're basically saying uh, U.S. technology stocks may be about to turn the corner after the NASDAQ 100's biggest monthly decline that was in September, according to strategy. At Goldman Sachs, they say the sell-off has historically cheap valuations for tech stocks at a time when earnings estimates are still rising. They point to a valuation metric note is the PEG ratio (PE to growth). Goldman analysis shows that the largest seven tech stocks have a PEG ratio of 1.3, compared with a 1.9 for the medium S&P 500 stock. So, what's interesting about this data here is that it's relative to growth, right? That's the whole idea. And if you think about it, like all the growth expectations are in these big seven stocks. So, if they were to slow down, you're Going to see that peg go lower, and it's going to look cheap relative to its historical. But but to me, it doesn't paint a picture that I want to go buy these stocks right now, hoping for an inflection at a time where lots of the leading economic indicators are pointing that we're like 18 consecutive months of negative or or declines in, in leading economic indicators. And you just said it a few minutes ago, guy. This will be the last battle fought among these generals. We know we started this year with some big headcount reductions there, right? And we're seeing other sorts of cuts and trying to hold on to the margins that these companies have. But if some of the excitement around all of this AI tools don't materialize into revenues and the costs associated with the compute for a lot of these weighs on margins, these stocks, I think what you would guess, they're going to go lower. That's what Liz was saying, I guess, in that Yahoo Finance article also. Margins are so
1: important, listen, for all companies, but specifically this sector. And you didn't even bring up and you bring it up a lot, and you're correct to, the, the potential, forget about the potential, the flat-out double or triple ordering that's been going on in the stockpiling of inventories that has not manifested itself in terms of earnings yet. It's just a matter of time before you start to read about it, and you have companies start to identify that, and what does that lead to? It leads to margin compression, which theoretically should lead to revenue declines and stock declines, which I think, again, we're on the precipice of, especially when you start to consider the lag effect All this Fed stuff, it's all lining up effectively at the same time. I mean, it's a confluence of events like probably haven't seen in decades. So that's why I'm negative. Now, with that said, I've been this way for a while and it hasn't played out. It's just starting to show itself around the edges. You know this, and I know this. When it happens, it happens extraordinarily quickly. And we talk about this. The market takes the stairs up and the elevator down. And, you know, all that passive money on the way in is great when stocks are going higher in a name like Apple which is in close to 350 different ETFs, of which Apple is a top 1, five, 15 holding. You know, it's great when that passive money flows in, but when that stops or, God forbid, becomes active, that's when things get problematic.
0: There's been some areas where, like, investors have been active. And, like, you think about the semiconductor index that the SOX is up more than 40% of the year. I think a big part of that, obviously, is NVIDIA up 200%. Now it's 20% of the SMH ETF that tracks the semiconductor index. The second largest holding is Taiwan Semiconductor, which you've often said is probably one of the most, out of five most important companies in the world. And this has a $450 billion market cap and the stock is down 22% guy from its June highs, from the 52 week highs. And so when you talk about this sort of double ordering, you talk about the chip bans that we have, you talk about the geopolitical situation between China and Taiwan and why is this stock down 22%? If you think about all those things should make orders look great over there. And so maybe investors are starting to discount what you're suggesting again about some of the double, triple ordering. We might end up with some large inventories. We know has been crazy demand for some of these high-end graphics chips that train these large language models and generative AI models. And so if we were to not see the commercialization of some of these products, you might see a push out. There was also an article that Deirdre and I talked about last week in the information talking about how Microsoft, obviously largest investor in OpenAI, they've been integrating their large language model GPT-4 into search, into their productivity tools and the like. And again, They're talking about actually going down a parallel path, creating their own large language model that actually takes much less compute. So meaning like a lot less expensive guy to operate, right? Because if they don't have the commercialization, they need to have some products that actually won't weigh on margins as much. And so I just thought that was really interesting and that could signal a push out of some of the demand for some of these high-end graphics chips that are very expensive and very expensive to run.
1: Listen, 100%, and now I'll put my technical analysis hat on and you talk about microsoft which is a remarkable company and i've said this and i believe it i think it's one of the five or seven most important companies in the world and they have positioned themselves that way but look at where we recently topped out in the stock i think it was in july when we probably traded close to i don't know 365 or so and then go back and look where we topped out in december of 2021 not coincidentally by the way a lot of stocks did you have a textbook double top now again folks listening to ok computer are probably not laser focused on that but it's important to point out is we're sitting here right now, you know, Microsoft's within a couple dollars of a multi-month low and hasn't traded particularly well for the last few months. Again, great company. You have to start questioning its valuation. And if you look at the last couple quarters, by Microsoft standards, they have not been particularly good. So that's a bit of a problem when, again, you're talking about a company that has a market cap of $2.3 trillion.
0: This thing is in correction mode. And, and again, talking about the charts, Apple, Microsoft, they all broke those uptrends that have been in place from early this year, the lows, the QQQ, the NASDAQ 100 is a, a about to do the same or or has to some degree. And so you're seeing some of the generals roll over technically. And that's one of the reasons why I think this NVIDIA is so important. When they report, again, they're not going to report in October, it's a late cycle report. But you know this stock gapped to about 400 on that May on that ridiculous guidance that they gave. And granted, it was up 70%. And it was well above expectations, and the guidance that they gave the next quarter in in, in August, the stock traded above 500 briefly, but reversed a little bit. So here we are; we're trading at 440. The stock traded as low a couple weeks ago was like 410 or so. That was a hundred dollars. That was a 25% route off of those intraday highs following that guidance. This is why this stock is so important. If you see this stock below 400, you're likely to see this is in the next couple months a Nasdaq that's in far more than correction mode. Maybe even getting close to down 20% from its recent highs. Well, listen, guy, I just wanted to check in with you a little bit from a sentiment standpoint, because again, we spent a lot of time focused on these large 7, 10 names or whatever. They're really holding up not only just the NASDAQ because they make up 50% of the NASDAQ 100, but they also make up 25% of the S&P 500. And so to me and you, I think we think they're going to be the last battle fought with this market. But when you look under the hood at other areas away from technology, things are not great. In the stock market, reminding you and me both a lot of late 2021, where we're scratching our heads and everything we looked at under the hood, other than the largest names in the market, wasn't great, and that led to a bear market of at least a year.
1: As we're sitting here, Bank of America is making a multi-year, making a 52-week low, effectively making a multi-year low. Bank of America, not an insignificant bank by any stretch. We're talking about a 200 billion dollar company, and then throw on top of that, a Citibank, for example, and two of the larger banks in the world are showing in pro- some problems around the edges and then you throw in the regional banks which all had huge runs in the spring. We're starting to give it back now. One has to wonder what this interest rate's going to do to a lot of those names and we're not here just to be dour for the sake of being dour. We're just here to point out some of the obvious things that nobody seems to want to talk about.
0: I appreciate you coming here and talking about an OK computer. That's Guy Adami. You can catch him with me on Mondays and Fridays on the tape and market call Monday through Friday at 1 p.m. Easter. Go to our risk commercial media page that's where that streams live obviously go to your podcast store to check out on the tape with danny moses guy and myself and liz young on mondays stick around for my conversation with trevor marshall cto co-founder of current
1: cross riverbank member fdic
0: i am with trevor marshall he is the cto and co-founder and my landlord of current here so this is where risk Universal media we do all of our podcasting in your fine home here in new york city and chelsea welcome back
2: yeah thank you for having me back
0: thank you for having us but all right listen you and I have a lot to talk about this is Tuesday afternoon it is October 3rd and there's a few trials going on here on the island of Manhattan I was up actually on Fifth Avenue in the 50s near Trump Tower and there are literally people out there with like their MAGA flags like waving them around to support him in this civil trial I think that's interesting you won't find any flags down at the SBFTX fraud trial here now this is something that I have to assume because you've in, and we've talked about this on the pod, you know, many times, you've been in the crypto world for a while. You know, a lot of the players doing a lots of different things. Just take a step back here and, and, and just put some context to the, the sort of fraud that existed here. This guy was the golden boy. FTX was like, we had Tom Brady hawking their wares on TV and, and the like here. And the fact that this thing has come crashing down, I do think it's interesting. What does this mean for folks like you who have been really closely associated to this market? You've been participating in the market you've built a company with some parts of the ethos of the crypto world here what does this mean is this like gonna bookend some of the worst behavior that we've seen over the last five or six years and i'm just like is this something you're gonna track very closely
2: i'm definitely following the trial and all that just because it's very interesting relevant to the industry and it has a big impact honestly and things like investor confidence and just the overall desire to work more in the space when it's not just about the technology it's actually about the businesses that are formed around the technology cuz i can approach it from both angles
0: would you say for every massive fraud like this there's a hundred or a thousand very legitimate companies working in and around the edges of, of this Yeah
2: industry? i don't know about a thousand but there's a lot there's a lot <laughs> there's do- Yeah there's yeah, dozens okay, right i think the defense that is reported on that he's going with which is i've been advised the advice of my lawyers was that everything was okay. I think what it's more about is, I, and from the beginning, from the, the, the sort of the day he got arrested, I've been saying, I don't think this was some grand mastermind plan. I think this was just a tremendous amount of sort of incompetence and then probably covering up some lies and yeah. the, having that spiral into something crazy because like is that giving
0: him the sort of benefit of the doubt because there's there's some folks in and around the industry some very high profile people I mean Bill Ackman you know not that he's in the industry he's the you know billionaire hedge fund guy runs Pershing Square activist he's you know well known for causing like you know lots of trouble with like fairly legitimate and maybe some illegitimate companies but the fact that he came out I think quickly in defense of him on Twitter this was like a few months ago or something like that it's just kind of odd and then one of the criticisms about Michael Lewis who wrote this book that's coming out also in some of the earlier reviews is that again they're giving him some of the benefit of the doubt a little bit like maybe just a mad genius who was pushing the edges here and there i
2: I definitely wouldn't give him the genius credit either you know i think it's on both sides i think his the the sort of greatness or whatever was there was good ideas in the sense of people needed access to liquidity but I didn't see a, a grand design in either direction, malevolent or sort of like this genius. It, it, but status. you don't
0: think it's it's like a. So what I think is really interesting about this whole thing, if we want to bookend like when Bitcoin came into being, it was during the financial crisis. And, and if you remember, as the financial crisis was unfolding, this Bernie Madoff like scam was being revealed, and this was a multi-billion dollar Ponzi scheme. And so. Interesting that coin was created to create censorship resistance and all all these sorts of things. I don't need to tell you what it was created for, but it really was in the wake of the financial crisis. And here we are on the other side of that. And we have something that looks very similar, like a massive Ponzi.
2: But it wasn't using any of the true crypto. There was no reserve proof. There was no there was none of the things that you would expect. And then there was also this fallacy of, oh, well, we have these reserves. They're FTT tokens. They're these sort of like uh, things that do trade but maybe trade like a hundred thousand dollars a day and oh by the way we've got four billion of them you know four billion dollars worth so i think mean, there's like certain market fallacies that got encoded S- similar market fallacies happened with luna and the mechanics for this like automated hedging of a stable coin um which of course you know issued trillions and made made that thing disappear. And, and look, I was uh, sort of lucky to see a little bit behind the curtain um, with FTX in particular. Do tell. Her. <laughs> Let's see. It sounds have well, no, like got some
0: story. Yeah. Michael Lewis, give us a ring here.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I definitely, you know, like I got to experience what they were like working and, and it was like a very chaotic startup, um, a very chaotic place with just not a lot of control over what they were trying to do. And that was because they were getting a ton of money, getting a ton of most likely pressure to go and grow, certainly a lot of pressure to actually open up shop within the U.S. legitimately, which for them meant getting a bit license. And they were just not really able to do that. Uh, They didn't have the caliber of of staff or focus to be able to do that. They were doing this all with few hundred people at most. Isn't it
0: amazing, though? Kate Rooney, a, a, a very fine reporter at CNBC who who covers the fintech space and crypto, and she's got a, a digital documentary out about this whole thing. It's on CNBC.com. She was on Fast Money with us last night, and we we're talking about some of this. And they had a clip from a guy that maybe some think is reputable, some not, but Anthony Scaramucci, you know, who runs Salt or Skybridge, and, and he was an investor. And, you know, he was a very early backer, I think. Or I don't know if he was an early backer, but he was a very prominent backer of um, as and in this doc that, that Kate details, I mean, he obviously did an about-face. And, and he basically talked to, to what you're saying is that it was just a very chaotic situation. Yeah. He did not seem to have a handle on things. So do you think we'll learn anything that makes the industry stronger that comes out of this suit? Like, is there some, Are there some benefits that are going to come out if, if it's done properly and they throw the book at him? Because it sounds like his ex-partner, both personal and professional, has turned state witness and she's got all the yeah. Yeah, The
2: whole thing is just chaos he's got tons of witnesses against him he's got any yeah. prominent
0: defenders or no
2: not that i know of there was definitely crimes committed no doubt. I just I don't think it goes to this level of conspiracy that some are assigning to it.
0: Well, and listen, and, and that'll be really interesting to see how it bears out. And, and what do you think it means for the industry right now? Because listen, the proponents right now are not as loud as they were a few years ago in general. And I this was something I think you and I've talked about this before, even in the like the crypto winter that went on during eighteen and nineteen. A lot of the folks who've been building and investing in the space they, they just went heads down and they kept on doing it. And then they had this other period where there was all 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 these different applications for it and the price kept going up and the interest of it both institutionally and from retail investors continue to increase if you look where the price of let's just call it bitcoin right here which has a half a trillion market cap still after everything that we've been through it it is lower left upper right and yeah, yeah there's been fits and starts so I'm just curious how are you thinking about this now how are you thinking about it from an investment standpoint I think you've told me in the past that when you have some of those big disconnects lower you often add to your position do you sell you know and i know this is a, like a certain this is a personal question but i'm just curious but then broaden it out how are you thinking about it holistically because you've been involved for since almost the beginning at least a decade does this sort of stuff kind of shake any of
2: your conviction on it it definitely enforces some of the convictions that i've had for a long time regarding like actually on-chain defi think about how do situations like ftx happen it's through lack of transparency and if you're creating a financial ecosystem around transparency. It doesn't have to mean that it destroys privacy, but there are ways of at least guaranteeing that certain things happened. So I I think we talked a little bit like last time about lightning and just like payment channels and just more efficient ways of doing things with Bitcoin or more efficient ways of just there's continued build out in a whole bunch of other sort of uh, ecosystems that that are still interesting that push the financial application actually on chain and to be something more transparent, which I've been saying for many years is like the, the interesting thing ever since like compound in 2020s got really popular and a lot of those d5 protocols got really popular same thing with nfts even though that you know the the prices on most of them have completely gone away just because they were very much hype driven just so like our crypto artwork. dick butts aren't worth anything anywhere? hey I, I still get uh, bids on that on oh, do you I say yeah okay fair uh, enough it's an active market <laughs> um, but uh no they you know the the concept behind them and, and the the what those things are on their own still holds up
0: you know what's interesting so I don't know if you follow abc.com that's Fred Wilson of Union Square Ventures um, you know he was a very very early I think he was like the first institutional money in coinbase and they made an absolute killing when when on the exit and he's been in helium he's been in in, in crypto and he's done it personally he's done it through uh, usv he's probably you know really early on on you know hundreds of nfts and i think you can see all this sort of stuff and he got scammed out of some nfts just recently And he details it. It's called The Heist, the post on ABC.com. I mean, check it out. What does that mean to you when people like him who are as savvy as he is, who gets the business, they understand the risks, that sort of thing, are still getting scammed? And you could say, well, listen, people get scammed out of dollars. They get scammed out of stuff all over the place. Is that your
2: Honestly, that is the take, which is social engineering and other types of scams have become, especially through COVID, just way more sophisticated, way more prominent. The amount of data that you can find on any individual identity with a, a credit card and, and knowing where to go to the, I mean, but people don't really don't
0: care about it. Isn't but that kind with, of it or no?
2: They care about it when they get scammed and yeah. people are using the amount of data that's available to make those social engineering attempts way more credible. So if I can call you up and I can tell you what I think the last four number, to, like the last four numbers of your credit card are, that's a extremely credible thing. How did you know that? Or yeah. if I could give you some other sort of personal information that you, would, you
0: admit to making phone calls
2: <laughs> <laughs> you phone calls in yeah. this day and age yeah what is that
0: No, so, yeah so I, I get all that so there's just a lot more information about all of us and it's, and
2: it's the mechanism for the theft right yeah. like the it, fully digital value is is just easier to scam because I don't need to be in front of you with a gun to take it from you that's probably one other mechanism you could use but um digital money is way easier to steal well, all right. So, money for the most part is all digital now. It just
0: depends what form it takes. And I do think that, that you know there was a headline I, I think uh, a week or so ago that JPMorgan Chase in the UK, as of I think in a couple of weeks, is going to ban payments. You know, I mean, on their rails, right, using crypto. W- w- what does that mean? to you? that seems like so 2018, 2019, yeah, I, a little bit.
2: That's what it feels like to me. I don't think many people will follow them, especially in the UK. The UK has always been really good about you know it's your money you do what you want yeah. everything from betting to crypto but
0: it's about scams i mean like they are basically trying to protect their customer like at least that's what they're yeah. suggesting yeah
2: i mean look the to go quickly back to the scams like if i if you uh compromise an account and let's say pay someone else money out of your account there's in the us there's regulatory protection for that right Re, uh, under reggie you know the you can open a dispute against that and there's there's claims and there's just not really the same framework in place for a lot of uh what's happening in crypto but A lot of them still, like, if you want to, for example, add money to a crypto account that's going down through a debit card or a credit card, those have dispute, um, sort of, uh, liability and controls around them. So I'm not totally sure the direction. I think they're trying to make a statement. Um, you know, they're not doing, they're, they're, they're not doing anything that will. Destroy the ecosystem with those actions. There's, I think, a way, way, plenty of ways around um, what they're trying to do as well. Just like if you're at that bank, but we'll see if anyone else follows. It's, it's unclear to me what the purpose is.
0: All right. So this brings me to another story. This is something I read in Axios, and we'll put this Felix Salmon in the show notes. Why the U.S. needs a better instant payment system, and it's a, it's talking about Vero Bank, which is. It seems like it's a competitor to Zelle, and the article highlights that Zelle, while it works really well, it's fast and free. Neo banks like Current are not able to participate, or at least the customers on, on yeah. those platforms. Like, it seems as a consumer, we have all this stuff coming at us, but none of it is interoperable. You know, you know what I mean? And again, this is like away from, let's say, crypto all, altogether, but like even all our money is digital and we all want it to be fast and free and it should be. Like, what's going on here? And, and are we, again, in the US, it seems like we are further behind some other parts of the world on this.
2: This one in particular, like, the private markets are stepping in. This is a Visa product effectively. Um, And the Visa has been trying to push this forward for a long time and it's something that we're partnering with them on as well on a few other initiatives. But generally card to card payments as a replacement to bank to bank payments, which is something that is available in the EU and the UK through like open banking regulations. There's not really the same need even in Canada you can get money from one person to another very easily. It's she a even problem. Even in Canada, for our Canadian yeah. listeners here, I'm sorry.
0: I mean, you can say even in Canada even about in, a
2: lot of things, I know, but... you know. Even in Canada, yeah. you can get yeah. healthcare. Yeah. But I mean, in in a country that's one-fifth the size and certainly like one-twentieth uh, or one-thirtieth the number of financial institutions, and maybe that's the reason why, you're able to get instant payments uh from person to person. And so in the US, that that gap is getting filled by large private companies, which is like how so much of banking in the U.S. works anyway.
0: Yeah. Um, you know, hey, I want to put my my fast money hat on. That would be my CNBC fast money hat on a little bit and talk about, like, you know, some of the areas I think of your expertise and how at least the public markets are, are kind of interpreting this. It was kind of interesting, like some of these lending models, like, like in a firm, the buy now, pay later, you know, they were left for debt. I think that stock was down 90% from its highs. It saw this tremendous pull forward in in adoption of those sorts of services, you know, during the pandemic, especially at a time where people weren't out and about and doing things or whatever. They were thinking about things they could buy and, and they just like, oh, i just spread them out, you know, the payments and that sort of thing. But it seemed, you know, that that thing came crashing down. And maybe that's not a good example. This is not like a, a, a profitable company, but there are things on like like the PayPal and uh in, in Square or Block and then Zoom. These were like three pandemic darlings in the stock market. I think they were up hundreds of percent each. And you know, at one point PayPal had a great market cap than Bank of America. All three of these companies are very profitable. Okay, the three that I just mentioned, not a firm by any means. And I'm just curious, when I think about how these stocks are trading, we have a NASDAQ that is up, let's call it 30% on the year. This was after being down 30% last year. And we know many of the components last year were down multiples of what the index was down, okay? But these stocks can't get out of their own way, like the three that I just mentioned. They are left for dead. They're all down at least 80% from their 2021 highs. What do you think is going on? Let's just focus on maybe PayPal and Square a little bit. What do you think is the, the, that the investment community, whether they be institutions or retail, are not seeing with these models, maybe it has to do with their behavior, maybe it has to do with competition. Maybe it ha- I'm just curious, like thoughts on this, because I, I know
2: that you keep an eye on the public markets also. For those two in particular, there's been a good amount of leadership change. PayPal is like the big one with Dan stepping down. And and even at Square, there's the, their CEOs turning over. If you look, you know, post-pandemic to pre-pandemic, we're around the same levels stock-wise. So I think there's definitely something to be said of like, well, when you put too much air into the, the system, like it's going to have trouble getting it back after it releases it. And I see a lot of the price action now as being mostly like either technical or over-trading. Like we're in the voting machine, not the waiting machine, yeah. weighing machine uh, mode for these stocks in particular. But I think the bigger underlying question that investors are having is what does the growth really look like? Um, and I think we talked a little last time, but are they going to be able to expand the use case? Are they going to be able to expand monetization on a per-user basis? It's not totally trivial to do that. Uh, in financial services, that will either come through uh, an increase in the sort of uh, payments uh, relevance. So for me, that is like, does PayPal get really... More aggressive into consumer checkout does square really crack uh their distribution of merchants and thinking about how to tie that back to cash App, like really closing that payments loop or are they going to be uh making a successful move into credit which at a time where you've got now a lot of small banks across the, across the u.s reporting multi-year high delinquencies on credit that could be a a, a dicey thing for yeah. them to like it was like, like, like zillow in. getting the and house flipping like, market you know, at it, the top yeah <laughs> paypal they got like buying uh, buy now pay later So does, so does Square. Um, but. I think the the opportunities around much bigger lines of credit are, are still out of reach. Can, all right, so l- let me play stock market for a second, okay? So PayPal now has a $63 billion market
0: cap, okay? And the company now is expected to have, let's say, mid-teens earnings growth next year on high single digits revenue growth. Gross margins are like expected to be 47%. That's down from a 90% margin in 2021. And you would tell me because that was just the way the transactions that were going on their platform and the adoption of it, it was just really profitable. More competition, it slowed down. Pal has a good balance sheet, expected 47% or so gross margins. It's trading at 10 times earnings, less than, a little less than two times sales, you know what I mean? Like, to me, that just seems cheap. And I just bring this up because it reminds me, let's say, of 20 years ago, 2003, this is the year or two after the dot-com implosion, and there were plenty of companies that were the poster children of that period, were their stocks were down 80, 90%. I mean, Amazon, famously, was down 85%. The NASDAQ now was also down 80% from its highs. And I'm just wondering, it's like, what the hell's wrong? with this like like I, you know there's new management there you said there's like at some point you have to assume that these they're going to figure some stuff out and it trades way too cheap
2: yeah i honestly i think that's where the weighing machine takes over I, and i think it's it is a matter of time i think people are still sitting on the sidelines feeling burned from both private market and public market competitors that that, that whole sector of financial technology has been challenging for many folks. It's
0: interesting. It almost feels like from my standpoint, there needs to be some sort of a capitulation and then you just hold your nose yeah. and buy a name like that or <laughs> yeah. something like that. Listen, we covered a lot of ground. I really wanted to hit the SBF stuff because I do think it's interesting and it's interesting to see who is gonna come out and maybe be slightly sympathetic to this sort of situation. It seems like you think that this was just a really poorly run operation pushing the edges at a time where regulation was pretty uncertain and that sort of thing, but there was a lot of scammy behavior And, and, here. and harm was caused. Yeah, oh, no harm doubt. was caused. Co- no, I'm, I'm yeah. not suggesting yeah. that you're not, you don't feel that way. And And the payment stuff, I just find fascinating. I just think that this is a behavior that more and more people are just embedded into their financial lives here, digital payments, and it just seems to be, whether it's on-chain or off-chain, it seems we're going in that direction. It just depends how familiar you are with those sorts of products and what sort of, I I guess there's a difficulty. Wouldn't you agree, like, for a Fred Wilson to be scammed on his iPhone or whatever, I think he's an Android guy, whatever he's using on apps that he's pretty familiar with, that sort of thing, it does make you wonder where the normies, like how they're operating and how frequently they're getting owned on
2: this. I, stuff. I just know that being a scammer is something that like Gen Z can even as, aspire to. There's so much on yeah. TikTok and there's a ton of content Great. for how to the rip, kids pe- today. rip people off. The kids today. So it's it's going to get worse before it
0: gets better. All right, Trevor Marshall, CTO and co-founder of Current. Thanks for joining me on OK Computer. Thank you.